0: I hope to see you all uh, out there. It's going to be rad, as Patrick says, so it's it's really going to be great. Hey, if you're brand new here, uh, you may not be aware that our lead pastors, Jarrett and Jeannie Stevens, are away. They're on a much-deserved, much-needed break. And uh, last weekend, we asked everybody to pray for them and their family, and I know lots of us have been doing that individually, but I'd like to lead us all collectively in a prayer for them. So would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we thank you so very much for Jarrett and Jeannie. We thank you for the vision that you entrusted them with for this church about five years ago now. We thank you for them relocating here in the West Loop. And God, we know that they're weary and that it's been a long season. And so we are asking you to give them an incredibly refreshing time with Elijah and Gigi. We pray that you'd surprise them with some really fun moments, and we pray that you would restore them and renew them, and bring them back ready to start another season. We thank you for their leadership, for their wisdom, for their love for the people in this room, for their integrity, and we pray a protection on their marriage and their family and their leadership. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen well I can't believe Labor Day is almost here and most of you probably can't either yesterday my husband uh, drove away with my daughter to take her back to college and it just all went way too fast I hope you've had some fun hope you've done some of those picnics and bike rides and all the rest and uh, if you haven't you still have a couple weeks to go I know I still have a bucket list I haven't quite gotten to but in the midst of all that fun at the risk of sounding like a real uh, Debbie Downer here I have sensed an undercurrent in my own spirit of concern this summer in particular about the the state of the world. You know, you look at the Palestinian and Israeli conflict and all the lives being lost there, the Ebola epidemic in West Africa, the racial tension in St. Louis, uh, the sadness of the suicide of Robin Williams, uh, earthquakes and all kinds of uh, natural disasters that have affected people, fires out in the west, and then you think about uh, just a few miles from here, the south and west sides of our city, uh, parents afraid because of gang warfare to let their children even go out and play in the park. And then all of us, if we think about our own family and friends, know individuals who are suffering for various reasons, or maybe for you, this has been a difficult season. And I find myself, when I feel the weight of all of that, sometimes looking up to God, looking up to heaven, and saying, do you see what is happening? Do you get this? Could you please come down and fix this? And recently, the devotional book that I've been reading and assigned me a reading uh, in the book of Exodus. And I was reminded, as I went back there, that the world has been in a very difficult place many, many times, in fact, most of human history there has been pain and suffering. And I want to invite you to go with me to this section of scripture. A few weeks ago, Jarrett took us to a story about Moses. This episode is even earlier in Moses' life, and it's found in Exodus chapter two. Grab the blue Bible in front of you if you can. This is the second book of the Bible, page 40 in the, in the blue Bibles, page 40. <clears throat> and we're gonna start with um, chapter two, verse 23 and see the state of the world back then. It says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So the Israelites had been enduring horrific conditions, They'd been slaves to the Egyptians for many, many years, 24-7 in slavery, and God heard their groanings. Now in chapter 3, we learn that God initiates a dialogue with Moses. So I want you to skip ahead to chapter 3, starting at verse 7. This is what God says to Moses. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned, I am concerned about their suffering." So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, if I were Moses and I heard God say that he had seen the misery and he was coming down to rescue, I would be singing the Alleluia Chorus. I would be thinking, this is so great. God is coming to fix it all. This is going to be fantastic. He's going to wipe out these Egyptians. But then the story takes an astonishing turn. Three words, God's next three words to Moses in verse 10 are, so now go. If I was Moses, I would say, pardon me, are you talking to me? I thought you were handling this. Look at verse 10, God says, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, the response of Moses is incredibly human, and I think it's similar to what most of us would say in this situation. Moses says to God in verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I completely identify with this reaction of Moses. Everything was sounding incredibly hopeful. God said he saw the misery. God said he was concerned about the suffering. Perfect, let's watch what God's gonna do. But instead, God makes it perfectly clear that he has another plan. You see, God's plan for transforming the world is us. That's his plan. There is no plan B. In fact, in the New Testament, there's a place where the Apostle Paul says that you and I are God's co-workers. Wow. We are God's co-workers. Every one of us has a role to play. He's calling us to partner with him, to bring light to this dark world, to bring hope where there's despair, to bring love where there's hate, to bring a community where there's isolation. God's plan is us. And every one of us has a part to play in changing the world day by day. There are divine assignments with your name on it and with my name on it. There's a beautiful verse in Ephesians that lays it out for us. And I'm gonna ask you to read this out loud with me. So look at the screen and read this with some boldness. Okay, here we go. We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What is your reaction when you see that, that you are God's masterpiece? Do you see yourself that way? as a a one-of-a-kind, irreplaceable person in the grand design of our creator. That word masterpiece comes from the Greek word poema, where we get our word poem. And it refers to any work of art. There has never been, nor will there ever be, a person exactly like you on this planet. You are a work of art. C.S. Lewis says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nobody is ordinary. You know, when I first became a mom with two little girls, I was very tempted, and I did say this I think a few times, to tell them, you know what, girls? You can become absolutely anything you wanna be. The problem with that statement is it's not exactly true. Now, if you turn out in your adult height to be five foot five, you are not going to play for the NBA. It's not going to happen. I would love to sing in a Broadway musical. I think that would be so fabulous. But if you've stood next to me singing here at church, you know that is never, ever going to happen. So I once heard someone say this We should tell our children there are many, 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 many things in this life that you're going to be quite ordinary at. Lots of things. They're going to be quite ordinary. But you have the potential in one or two areas to be absolutely extraordinary. And your quest in life is to discover what those things are, to figure it out. The question for each and every one of us is, what was I born for? What was I born for? What are my divine assignments? Like Moses simply asked God, who am I? Today we're gonna explore the truth that God has entrusted each and every one of us with one or more spiritual gifts. That's what they're called in the Bible. Many of you have heard that before. For some of you, it's a brand new concept. I first learned about it in late high school. The Bible teaches us that every follower of Jesus has at least one gift, and many of you have more than one. We don't get to choose our gifts. They are assigned to us, and the purpose of every gift that we have is for the common good. It's to help bring transformation to this world, to this community and the outside these walls as well. And the purpose for us is to show up and join the adventure of transforming the world, to partner with one another and with God. I like to look at the discovery of my destiny as an equation with two parts of the puzzle for me to solve. This is the equation. My profile plus my passion equals my part to play. My profile plus my passion equals my part. Let's start with our profile. We can't figure out the part we're gonna play until we're clear about what God has given to us, what he's entrusted to us, like Jared taught last week from Matthew 25. He gave us a little bag of gifts, a collection of gifts. What are they? So we begin to explore these together to pay attention to our lives, to the defining moments and the revealing clues that tell us about our identity. Some of you here today are very far along on this journey. You've been figuring it out for a long time. You're extremely aware of who God made you to be. Others are much newer uh, to the quest. Experts tell us that some of the best clues for uncovering our identity go way back to our childhood, our earliest experiences. So I want to take you way back to the years before you were 10, okay? before you hit double digits. What activity did you engage in when you were really young, when time just seemed to fly by, when you got caught up in something, when you felt fully alive? Think back. Maybe for some of you it was a certain sport that you played. Maybe it was adventures in an empty lot or collecting bugs and butterflies. Maybe it was reading your stack of summer library books, making something, Legos, building blocks, writing a story creating a meal in the kitchen. I grew up in a neighborhood in Park Ridge where there were tons of children my age. And the moments that I remember when I felt most alive were when I was organizing those kids to create some kind of experience. We did a three-ring circus, we did a haunted house, we did endless plays and productions, and I would gather everybody around and make assignments and decide you know, what grand experience we were going to try to envision and then fulfill. And I would sell tickets and hopefully mesmerize the audience, which mostly consisted of our patient parents. My mother tells me that I had the loudest voice in the neighborhood. Actually, she didn't say it that way. She said, you were kind of (laughs) bossy. Very nice. Now, while I was all about creating those experiences in my childhood, my husband, Warren, tells a very different story. I didn't know him back then, but he remembers when he first learned about prime numbers. So he got a little notebook. And he kept going and going and going in his notebook with prime numbers. And kids in his class would say, what are you up to now? And he would tell them what number. I'm sure this was quite key to his popularity in that time. (laughs) Um, But we are all wired differently. Warren has always loved puzzles and numbers and the challenge of figuring out complicated things. Math was his favorite subject. Now, what did you love to do? as a kid. We assemble these clues from our childhood and then we add to that other very helpful assessments, including things you may be familiar with, like Myers-Briggs test, the Enneagram, and certainly spiritual gifts, first and foremost. The Bible tells us that we each have, have at least one of these. And one of my favorite metaphors in the Bible is found in the book of 1 Corinthians, where Paul compares the church, the community of believers, to the human body And he says every part of the human body matters in order for it to function optimally. He says the foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The brain, though it may seem very important, would be lost without all of the other parts. So it is with the church. None of us matters more. People up front don't matter any more than people who serve behind the scenes. Elders and board members don't matter more than someone who's serving up in Soul City Kids right now. All of us matter. So do you know what spiritual gift or gifts you've been entrusted with? There's a few places in the Bible where they're listed, and we wanna give you an idea of some of the gifts. This is not uh, all-inclusive, but here's a list just of some of them that might trigger some of your thinking. I'm gonna go through them real quickly. Administration, craftsmanship and the arts, evangelism, prayer, leadership, shepherding, wisdom, mercy, giving, helps and serving, hospitality, Faith, teaching, and encouragement. Now on the Soul City website, we have a little inventory with some prompts and some questions. And you might want to go there and try to uncover, if you're not familiar with these, what rings true with you. What do you think you might have as a spiritual gift? It also helps to talk to people who know you well. And uh, they're going to be very observant and help you figure this out. You know, the church where I grew up was not built really on spiritual gifts initially. Um, basically, they made people feel guilty and signed you up for wherever there were, you know, spots that needed to be filled. I'm sure this is true because I had this Sunday school teacher one time, that's what we called a uh, little kid place, Sunday school. And uh, I had this teacher one time and this man clearly hated children. He <laughs> never smiled. He was clearly out of his element. And in real life, he was, you know, outside of church, he was an accountant. Later, in, years later, I learned that he got a new volunteer job at the church, counting the offering. And that was a much better fit for him. It's a really fair question for you to ask yourself, what do I do that is life-giving? God wants you to be serving in an area that is life-giving. It brings you a sense of joy. That doesn't mean that sometimes it won't be hard or require sacrifice, but overall, it gives you a sense of life. Now, knowing how we are wired includes taking a look at our limits and our weaknesses, in addition to our strengths. And we're continually sharpening our understanding of who God made me and you to be. More and more familiar with precisely who we are, not who we wish we were not looking over our shoulders and I wish I had her gifts or his gifts but saying God who did you make me to be here's what I've learned so far looking around this room I would say I've been at this a lot longer than some of you so this is what I know so far about my profile my spiritual gifts are leadership creative communication and teaching my strengths this comes from like strength finders if you're familiar with that would be woo which is winning others over Uh, Maximizer, relational, strategy, and achievement. My limits, I have many, these are just a few of them. My shadow side is image management and approval seeking. That's the pattern of sin that I fall to most often. Also, I'm not administrative. I'm not at all technically skilled. I'm not domestic, much to my husband's disappointment. (laughs) I have a terrible sense of direction, and I'm a really bad dancer, as evidenced in my niece's wedding recently. Other, I am a mild extrovert, play-it-by-ear person, morning person, and intuitive. So you see, we begin to collect this information and these clues, and the quest to understand our identity is really a lifelong one. It should propel us not toward worship of ourselves, not toward pride. It should propel us toward worship of the one who made us, who made us into a masterpiece. So how clear is your picture of your wiring? Are you in a quest to clearly understand the wonder of your one-of-a-kind profile? Now, the second part of the equation is equally significant. We seek to uncover our passion. Some have called this their holy discontent. And when Jared Stevens started this series, he defined holy discontent as the need in the world that you look at and say, this is not right. This is not right. When you read the news, or you walk around in this city, or maybe visit the third world, What makes you crazy? What makes you want to shout and scream and rally other people to stand up and do something? There are no end to the possibilities here because there are just so many needs in this world, aren't there? At the risk of excluding a multitude of options, I wanna give you some ideas. These are just a partial list of of passion areas or needs. I'm not gonna read them all. We're just gonna let it sit up there for a while for you to look over. I know people, and you probably do as well, who are aligned with so many of these passions. I have one girlfriend who is all about inmates in prison. She's a chaplain at a local jail. She visits three times a week. It's the only thing she can talk about. Her email signs off with a verse about visiting inmates in prison. That is her passion. Now, as you can see, every segment of society or kind of person could possibly be the group that fuels your passion. God has made you especially concerned about something. Maybe you don't know that yet, but he wants to stir up something in you. Likely, this would be the area that you're most compelled to give money and time to. It's the need that keeps you awake at night that makes you concerned. When you are around your friends, you can hardly contain your enthusiasm about rousing their interest. You want to stir them up to join your campaign, and you can't imagine anyone not caring as much as you do about this particular need. It's important to note that none of these areas of passion are more important than others. They just are what God placed in you to care most about. And certainly you can have more than one. I used to feel a little bit inferior about my holy discontent when I compared it to other people because I wondered if it mattered as much in God's economy. My husband is all about the under-resourced. And together, we have traveled to Zimbabwe and South Africa and the Dominican Republic and Haiti and lots of other places. And when I'm there with him, I do care very, very deeply about the poverty that that folks are experiencing, about the suffering, about helping them rise up with dignity. But my passion goes way back to my youth, uh, when I would attend church gatherings. I would look around the room at church, and I would wonder, Why is this hour putting people to sleep? Why isn't church more beautiful? Why isn't it filled with moments of wonder and awe that lead to transformation? Where are the artists and the arts? Why isn't it more creative? It absolutely drives me crazy that the number one adjective that people around the world use to describe church is boring. I've heard that in 26 countries around the world. Boring is what they say. So God stirred this up in me to the point where I just said, this is not okay. It's not okay. And it led me on a grand adventure. It propelled me toward a ministry that I continue to this day. What is your holy discontent? What drives you crazy? What change would you most like to see in the world? What group of people would you most like to serve? Where does your passion lie? Now, this is where this gets so fun and exciting. I think the grace of God is all over this. Here's what he does. He takes your profile, who he wired you up to be, and then he combines it with your passion and helps you find your part to play. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you have the spiritual gift of administration. You're really good at organizing things. You love to bring order out of chaos. Now, obviously, there are countless kinds of ministries and organizations that would love to have you on their team. But in God's world, what you can do is take that gift, take that wiring and apply it to a ministry or an organization that aligns with your passion, with what you care most about. So you'll be serving orphans, for example, but you'll be using your gift of administration. That's how God works. Now, I don't want to go any further without giving you some more specific examples from people right here at Soul City. Let me start with Jeremiah. You have seen Jeremiah Durvin many, many weekends. He's not playing keyboards this weekend. I believe he was last weekend, but he's a volunteer uh, on our worship team. Jeremiah has gifts. His spiritual gifts are in music and also the gifts of helps and shepherding. His passion is to help people learn how to incorporate worship in their personal time with God, not just when we gather as a group. And he leads a small group all about worship. You can't be with Jeremiah very long without sensing his passion. It just oozes through him and God gifted him and wired him up to play this part in our community. Uh, This is Sarah, Sarah Dunbar. If you have Soul City kids, you might have seen her this morning when you checked in your children. She's the mother of four. Um, She's married to Trevor. And she checks people in. She's a part of Soul City Family Connections uh, upstairs. Her spiritual gifts are faith, giving, and shepherding. And her passion is for what she calls non-traditional education. I've had a chance to get to know Sarah uh, this summer And get this, she is starting, she's very entrepreneurial, and remember, she has the gift of faith. She is starting a brand new school this year, a non-traditional school that she hopes will really serve children well. This is Keith Cantrell. If you don't know Keith and his wife, Deb, they have been around this church for a very long time, almost since the beginning. Keith has gifts of wisdom, giving, and leadership. His strengths include the ability to find creative solutions to very complex problems. In his work life, he works in the area of investments and finances. But he has a couple of passion areas, including the local urban church, and also trying to find sustainable ideas and solutions for leveling the playing field for the under-resourced. There are some wonderful ways that Keith serves his church, hidden ways that you don't know anything about. For example, we have needed someone exactly like him to serve on the stewardship and facilities teams. He helps figure out how to wisely manage the resources of this church and plan for expansion. In fact, Keith was used by God to help purchase this building, lead the process of purchasing this building, and came up with a creative solution for accessing the land next door for future use. Just for fun and because it brings them great joy, Keith and his wife Deb also serve often up in infants and toddlers, holding the little babies. You may see him up there. It just brings them great joy. But you can see how God has taken his wiring, his profile, and prepared a part for him to play in this community. And now I want to take just a little deeper look at a young couple at Soul City and show you a video of the part that they're called to play. This is Sarah and Daryl. Take a look at this.
1: Hi, my name is Daryl Hedman and my wife is Sarah. Uh, I work in downtown Chicago uh, for a software company. Um, There I just do a lot of the IT stuff.
2: I have been lucky enough um, in the 13 years I've been a mom to be able to stay home with the kids primarily, but I have um, at different times during those years been able to step out part-time and work in the fields of photography and floral design.
1: So I grew up in a family that had IT and technology um, all the time. My dad was always out buying the latest and greatest stuff. A lot of times I would just take his computers apart and not know how to put them back together. And As I got older and you know, technology changed, um, I went back to school and really focused on trying to figure things out and trying to um, understand the complexity of how technology works.
2: I've always been interested in creativity and design. Um, As a child I was doing any craft I could get my hands on. I took any extra art class I could get at school. So it's been a part of me since I was very young. My artistic and design skills I have not used in the local church until I came to Soul City. About five or six years ago I read a book called Captivating by Stacy Eldridge and in that book she talks about how we are all created in God's image. And I realized, like a light bulb went on, the Holy Spirit just sort of revealed to me that I'm created to create. And there's a reason I feel alive when I'm creating something. And I started um, looking for ways for it to be glorifying to God
1: for God to kind of already put that passion in me to to have the ability to do IT, but also to um, be in the context of uh, helping the church out. Um, That's really exciting that I get to put those two together. On Sundays, be able to help people connect with technology and be able to understand it a little better how um, things on the screen work, how um, the kids check in, uh, how that works and make that work seamlessly so that everybody's morning um, um, runs really smoothly.
2: I remember working on um, a display in the foyer and having the pastoral team who was praying for the Easter service come around and they had us stop working and they prayed over our decor team. And I just thought, they're praying for the decor team. Like, this is awesome. Like they see my role in making the foyer pretty as being just as important as all the other roles. And so that was just a huge um, validation for me Um, After that service, I got a note from Jeannie Stevens, who's a pastor here, and she said in her note, your creativity is a beautiful picture of the heart of God. And I just wept when I read it. I feel like I can create and be who I am in a confidence and a freedom that I've never had before. And so I'm just really thankful for that.
1: I think one of the things that um really excites me about about serving is being able to to show my family that this is a a really important thing that we do um, that not only does the the church bless us by everything that it gives to us but uh, we can also bless it by um, by serving
2: no matter how unconventional your gifts are or even if you think you don't have any gifts I assure you there is a place for you here at Soul City to serve it's a wonderful way to see the heart of God and experience the heart of God
1: we are the Headmen. we are giving our all to live a leveraged life. Mm.
0: I personally have some ideas of how Sarah could use her gifts in my home, but <laughs> if you are not already on the playing field, fulfilling your divine assignments, it's time for you to get in the game. As God said to Moses, so now go. So I want to give you a few practical next steps, because we've been building up to this for the last few weeks. Some of you, first of all, need work clarifying your profile. That's the part of the equation you're not quite clear on yet. If you don't know your spiritual gifts, start there. Go to the Soul City uh, website, slash gifts, and you'll find an inventory there. Again, talk to some people who know you well. Use Strength Finders or one of those other tools that I mentioned, and begin to formulate your understanding of the wonder of who God made when he crafted you. Next, you wanna discern your area of passion. So pay attention to how you react to needs in the world. Observe your response. What gives you energy? What stirs up your feeling that something isn't right, something needs to be done? Ask God prayerfully to reveal to you passion in a specific area, and then begin to experiment and explore the possibilities. You may not figure this all out at once, Dip your toe in, try something, Uh, sign up to serve for a short period of time, and see if it's life-giving. See if you feel like you're making a contribution. See if you can say, yes, this is me. This is a good fit. Remember that Soul City Church is not quite uh, four years old. They don't have a full-blown ministry to match every one of those passions that I listed there, so be patient. God may be calling you to create something or start something or maybe to align with one of our ministry partners. In closing, I want to tell you how this came to life for me just a couple weeks ago. Um, As I mentioned before, we are renting um, a place here in the West Loop for the summer. It's a very small little place. And my husband, I told you about, um, he's the one who loves prime numbers, and he loves information and data and strategy. He has a remarkable mind for thinking through options and the best way to focus the ministry. His profession was in the commodities profession all about numbers and puzzles, et cetera. Um, But his primary passion is for the under-resourced. Here's a photo of him uh, thinking through ministry strategy with some African leaders. Can you tell which one he is? Yeah, this is a very common position for him when he's figuring something out. He looks like he's trying to solve a puzzle. Well, a couple weeks ago, he had a meeting in our little condo with a friend of ours named Beth, who has uh, a ministry in Nicaragua. And specifically, she's trying to help poor families, especially women with children, to dig their way out of poverty uh, with dignity. She's invested money from her very successful business here in Chicago to start this incredible work providing jobs for entrepreneurial women there to sell food and support their families. So my husband's been serving as an advisor to her, helping her shape her strategy and raise funds and focus her boundless energy. So I had to work on a meal. We were having somebody over later for dinner. So I was in the kitchen and they were literally like six feet away from me having this conversation because it's such a small place. And I couldn't help overhearing the entire deal. And the whole hour just made me smile. My husband had so much energy in this conversation. He was using all of his love for information and puzzles and asking great questions. He was incredibly insightful to Beth. I could tell he was giving her some perspective on things that no one else, questions no one else had asked her. His eyes were shining. He was doing what he was born to do. And I knew that God was even more delighted than me, that God was smiling because he saw that little boy doing stupid prime numbers. And he knew (laughs) what he was eventually going to do someday. And my friends, I long for every single one of us in this room to discover the good works that God planned for you to do long ago. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to miss the grand adventure. There are no ordinary people in this room. God has a divine assignment, many of them, for you. So uncover your profile and your passion and then get out there and try something, do something. And for those of you who are already further along in this, ask God what your next step is. I want to show you the equation one more time and you're going to see that I added another word, another P word, and it's the word prayer. Because all along the way, as we try to figure this out, we come to God, our designer, our Creator, and we say, what's next, God? What would you have for me to do? You know, after Moses said, who am I? And he made all kinds of excuses, and he tried to get out of it, and he felt totally inadequate. God's next five words to him were, I will be with you. I will be with you. We don't do this alone. This is a partnership. But if we're going to change the world, we need to show up and do our part. So I want to give you some space, just for a moment, To bow your heads and just give God some room and say whatever you need to say to God. If you're brand new to this and you're visiting and this is all new to you, maybe that's what you need to just say, God, I'm here. I'm open. Help me take whatever next step you want me to take. If you don't know your profile, maybe you ask God, God, show me what my gifts are. Show me what you made me to do or stir up a passion in me. Or maybe if you're already well along this path, just simply ask God, God, what's next? I'm available. I want to be more devoted to you today than I was yesterday. What do you have for me, God? So I'm going to be quiet and let you talk to God for a moment, and then I'll close. Father, I thank you for every masterpiece in this room. There isn't a person sitting here today who wasn't crafted by your grand design. Thank you for the remarkable men and women sitting in front of me. God, I pray for those who don't believe they're a masterpiece that you would reveal to them how remarkable they actually are and what you've entrusted to them to use in this world. Thank you for the privilege and the adventure of partnering with you to bring change to this world, to bring hope where hope is so desperately needed, to bring love where there is hate and division. God, use us. And thank you for the joy of participating with you. May we show up. May we know what we were born for. And may we diligently give you our very, very best, for that is absolutely what you deserve. Thank you, God. We love you. We love being your co-workers, and we thank you for the design that you have to transform
2: our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.